So given that we have basically run out of time to solve climate change and like China is doing loads of stuff, don't we need to be a bit more like China? Because there's a lot of people would say, we haven't got time for democracy, it takes too long, people are too faffy. What we need is stern words and tanks. I'll do it. Uh, um, I'm just trying to envisage the <laughs> Dave and Ollie coup now. <laughs> well, if, 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 if I've got anything to do with tanks. it, it'll be late. It'll be a slightly late coup that I will, I will have had every intention of being on time for, but would have not quite made it. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Sustainable 192. Welcome yourself, my ferrety young lad, to Sustainable 192. I'll run up your trouser leg if you say any more of that. Nip me on the nethers. Uh, We are your friendly little weekly environment podcast, ain't we all? Yes. All about people and the planet and why sometimes giving people a say is not the worst idea in the world. It turns out. I'm very happy we are about all that. <laughs> yes. Particularly not when you've recorded a podcast about it, very <laughs> confidently staking your colours to the mask. <laughs> Absolutely. We are talking about democracy, about voting, but more than voting. And importantly, we are talking to someone who knows all about it and has studied it and has studied it with relation to, with regard to climate change, because... Ooh, we've got some knotty democratic issues in the post in terms of dealing with climate change. And that person is the magnificent Becky Willis, who is a professor in practice at Lancaster University. And if you listen to the episode about the Climate Assembly... 164. Thank you, Dave. uh, She is one of the people, like the expert leads behind all of that... Um, so very, very kind of important, relevant, timely person. Uh, and she's got a book out, which she just about remembers to tell us about. Yes, right. Uh, so you may have wondered, as we do, certainly as I do, whether or not we have time, what with all this very urgently needing to save the planet thing, to ask people for their opinions on that. Because sometimes when you ask people for their opinions on stuff, they come up with all sorts of nonsense. Yeah, it's the wrong so opinions, isn't it? It's the wrong, it's the wrong opinions. Mm. And, and there are a lot of people I have heard say we need a bit less democracy and a bit more sticks. So, uh, yeah, that's amongst the stuff we asked her. We also talked about um, politicians. Are they all by bastards if you think possibly they're not all bastards how can you get them to do what you want um and are politicians people too it's very good chat this i enjoyed it very much indeed uh just before all of that the usual disclaimer we do work for environment charities so if you've got anything a bit icky a bit gnarly a bit kind of that you want to say about this podcast and don't say it to the people who employ us say it to us say it to becky don't say it to the people who employ becky um just just leave it out all right (laughs) very good so we started by talking to becky about well do you remember back in 2016 i some bright spark thought it would be a good idea to have some democracy about whether to stay in the European Union or not. And I don't know about you, but I've not quite forgiven democracy for that. <laughs> democracy has got a lot of work to do.
so Becky will uh, will be straight with you um, there have been a few times recently 2016 mentioning no years uh, where we have thought that giving people a say about stuff is possibly overrated um, you know possibly but but convince us that that is wrong um, tell us you know just give us the case the case for democracy why democracy I think the way I'd answer that is to say um, if it's not the people in charge who who would it be who would you like uh, us, me and Dave, Babble, yeah. Babble Ocracy. Yeah. It's going <laughs> to be superb. I thought you might say that. And funnily enough, <laughs> funnily enough, that's what just about everyone says. What? Put the Babble or, in charge. Although some people do say David Attenborough, which is you know is quite sensible. Um, Short termist. The signal is poor, and she hasn't upgraded her handset since 1999. Hashtag flip phone. The per- in the olden days, the person who got to rule was supposedly decided by God. Um, you know, that was the divine right of kings, wasn't it? Unless you want God to be in charge, which no. some people do, um, you you have to find a way of deciding who rules, right? The whole point of politics is it's a social contract between people who agree to give up a bit of freedom and a ruler who agrees to do stuff collectively on their behalf um and you know the only way we found to do that sort of remotely fairly is through voting um so i think it was winston churchill who said that democracy is the worst system of government except for all the others um and and that's about where i stand really i don't think i think democracy is the best way that we have of doing things i don't think it's perfect by any means and what i try and what i try and wrap my brains to think about is how can we make our democracy work better so that you know 2016 was an example of it working really really badly but what was why do you say i mean it seemed i have my opinion why 2016 was bad which is a thing happened that i didn't like but like <laughs> that is democracy right is it, it, we a question was asked to people and they come up with an answer so what what was so bad about that well it was a binary choice yes or no to a really complicated question that we should say we're talking about Brexit, by the way, which we hadn't actually said for our non-British, yeah. non-bothered audience. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was a, you know, you could only answer yes or no. You couldn't answer it depends. And also it turned out to be a referendum, not about the European Union, but about, you know, whether you trust experts and, and uh, what you think about bendy bananas and whether you wanted 350 million for the NHS and, you know, all kinds of things all messed up together. Um, And in the end, I think people, you know, either the vote was actually... I'm, I, you know, I want to stay in the EU and I feel kind of vaguely happy with our system of government or actually I'm really pissed off with all of politics and I'm going to vote no and, you know, show them what's what. And that was, you know, it's, it's not really the way to involve people in decisions, is it? There are, there are better ways of doing it. And their economy. And if you think about it, you know, the free trade agreement that we will have to come to with the European Union should be one of the easiest in human history. Do you mind me asking why? I'll tell you why, because it's balls, that's why. It's complete balls! So, let's talk about climate change and the planet and stuff, because that is technically what we do. Technically, sometimes. Um, It seems to us that governments, uh, governments and politicians will do stuff about saving the planet. 
they will do stuff. By the time people listen to this, they might have done some more stuff. But it never quite seems like it's enough. And that's not just because we're moany environmentally campaigners for whom nothing is ever good enough. And, uh, you know, poor sods in government will never please us. There's always this sense of, like, they're playing catch-up with where the popular mood is. And what, why is that? Why are our politicians so far behind kind of public sentiment on this stuff? Yeah, so I, I spent three long years <laughs> trying to answer this question. <laughs> and, and I interviewed Please tell me the answer was something other than, hmm, don't know. <laughs> um, I, I interviewed more than 20 MPs um, and there's there were sort of three things going on there. The first was that they're pretty overwhelmed by the day job, right? It's, I'm not making excuses for them. I'm just trying to explain. It's a, it's a hell of a job. You have all the, you know, the government stuff, the London stuff. You also have your constituency stuff. Um, the, the, a lot of MPs I talk to, especially the, uh, the newer ones, were just sort of overwhelmed by, you know, they were, they were hiding under piles of paper and behind thousands of emails. So there's, you know, it was it's quite hard for them to get on the front foot and think, right, what do I really want to achieve? Um, and then if they do, then climate is a really tough one for them to pick up because, you know, what I remember one saying to me, well, you, we can't say we solve climate change. I can't put that on the press release. You know, it feels just a bit thankless to them. It feels like big and difficult and global and, you know, and they want to say, you I know, they, they want to be able stop to... in my constituency or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. They want to. So you know, my local MPs campaign to keep the to keep um, cancer services at the local hospital, and he won that. And you know, that's what people remember him for on, on election Fair day. Um, so it's about having winnable campaigns. But the other thing, which um, <laughs> which might have changed a bit since I did this work because I, I did finish it a couple of years ago but the other thing was they were worried that if they sort of went a bit too too green um, that their colleagues would basically not like it they were worried about being seen as a zealot or a, a freak these were words that they used wow. um, so you know they said I don't want to be one of those climate freaks you know <laughs> that was the kind of language you so it was wow. it's not part of their for 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 both the main parties actually it's sort of not part of their political tradition it's not part of what they talk about in the corridors it you know it it, it they're worried that they will lose out on promotion uh, friends if they just bang on about climate all the time I mean, we, I we bang on about climate all the time and we've got basically no friends. So I think they're, you know, <laughs> yeah, they're, onto, oh, they're onto something, something. then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's so silly. It's, it's, it's so basic, isn't it? That is like the that is like the worried about having your lunchbox chucked into the bin at school because you're worried about standing out. Is it that kind of basic a human instinct going on? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. I mean, politicians are really tribal. <laughs> I mean, it is Famously. about tribes, isn't it? It is, yeah. you know... Um, and there's tribes within tribes um there's different parts of each party and 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 um i think it's quite a lonely job sometimes being an mp um especially being a backbencher um you have you actually have very little power you're probably quite paranoid about what your colleagues think of you <laughs> And I mean, I found with some of my interviews that it's sort of 
became a bit of a therapy session at times because I was asking them <laughs> questions. I spent the first half of the interview talking to them about, you know, what they thought about their job, what they hoped to achieve, you know, what they found difficult, that kind of thing. And I only came on to climate halfway through and that was deliberate because I wanted to, you know, really get under the skin of what it is to do a job like that. And so basically they saw it as a brilliant chance to offload. <laughs> it, was all an, it was all anonymous. So I had people saying, I don't really know what I'm doing here. <laughs> you know, I had people saying... That was Boris, was it? <laughs> I've had people saying, uh, you know, I've 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 been trying really hard to actually sort of start working on something that I that, that I really care about, but I'm just bogged down by, you know, uh, all the work I have to do in the constituency and all the people that come to see me in the surgery, and you just, you know, I I I started to feel for them a bit. Mm. <laughs> Not all of them. I, I I knew I had contempt for my constituents. But it just came as a bit of a shock to the system to find the feeling was entirely mutual. <laughs> it makes me think that, like, we on the other side, by which I mean, you know, campaigners who bang on at politicians and the government, but also backbenchers for just not doing enough. Are we at risk of sort of not being nice enough to them? Are we, are we not treating them like humans when obviously they, they are... I mean, just hearing you say that, they are clearly under a huge amount of pressure and have got a lot of competing priorities. Like, are we shooting ourselves in the foot a bit by sort of, you know, sending endless petitions saying, you bastard, do this thing now, otherwise we'll, you know, vote you out. Politicians are people too. Well, not all of them, obviously. I'm not, you know, not <laughs> Jacob Rees-Mogg and some of the others, but most of them, you know. Yeah, they are, they are, they are human. Um... I'm just thinking of the episode of Doctor Who where they are lizards underneath. Do you remember that one? <laughs> it's not what David Icke thinks. David Icke thinks, doesn't he, that all, all MPs no, and was, the Queen are There was up an lizards. episode of Doctor Who ages back where they actually unzipped their human masks and they were lizards underneath. Um, but So I, I can't actually categorically say that they're not because I didn't look for the zip but there you go, um, there you go. <laughs> jacob reese mogg is one great big zip isn't he <laughs> um <laughs> but no I, I think it's really important to to treat them like people and um and to, to i suppose i'd say to make it a conversation so you know when i do talks to you know whatever green group or you know, Women's Institute or whatever will have me. And they always ask, you know, should I go and see my politician? And I always say, we'll make it a conversation because, you know, rather than shouting at them about not having done enough about the climate crisis, obviously you need to be really upfront about the problem, right? There's no point in, there's no point in shying away from uh, the climate horrors that might come to us. And, and I think we, we need to be really sort of upfront about that. But then, you know, uh, one thing I really like doing is then stopping and saying, how, you know, how do you feel about this? Or, you know, how difficult is this to work on for you? Or some kind of disarming question. Um, because then you can, you understand where they're coming from and you can begin to see how they might be able to fit it into the job if they're not doing that at the moment. Virginia Imry. Mm -hmm. I wrote to you. I'm a constituent. Ah, well, that's where the problem is. I'm afraid there's been a misunderstanding. I don't speak to constituents. Good morning. <laughs> so, go and see your MP. Have you been to see your MP? Not, not uh, my new one. I've, I've just moved to where I am now, and I haven't, I haven't been to see them. I haven't yet 
giving them the pleasure of and you know <laughs> a volley uh, of invective. Um, I don't think I I don't think I ever have been to see my MP. What? I've been to see, uh, well, I've been to see other people's MPs. Well, for a large amount of time, my MP was Liam Fox. No. So not, well, there isn't a huge. I mean, that's he's definitely a lizard. You don't need to unzip him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's a fox. <laughs> my so, MP for a long time was Kate Hoey. That was interesting. Uh, um, hmm. She had some views, but um, yeah, she always signed the things I asked her to sign. So there you go. I suppose mm. that was fine. Kate Hoey, can you name any reputable independent study that shows us better off if we leave? Um, probably not better off as such, and I haven't. I haven't. Well, got, even I, one that says well, we'll just be the same. But you see, I think. Could you name any uh, reputable uh, study? I now, I've got a question about um, the world at the moment, <laughs> and the and the world is. I've got lots of questions about the world <laughs> at the moment. Gonna we're going to come. We're going to we're going to come to some of those, but see China. Yeah, that's not what you would call a democracy in any kind of sense that I recognise anyway. And it seems to be doing all right on the whole most dynamic economy in the world, doing a lot about climate change, um, being powerful front. So given that we have basically run out of time to solve climate change and like China is doing loads of stuff, don't we need to be a bit more like China? Because there's a lot of people would say, we haven't got time for democracy, it takes too long, people are too faffy, what we need is stern words and tanks. Uh, um, I'm just trying to envisage the <laughs> Dave and Ollie coup now. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, if, 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 if I've got anything to do with tanks. it, it'll be late, it'll be a slightly <laughs> late coup that I will, I will have had every intention of being on time for, but would have not quite made it. Well, you know, there are maybe some other reasons to avoid autocracies but i'll i'll leave that i'll leave you to wrestle with that um you know human rights whatever else oh, namby um, pamby nonsense coming on our podcast yeah, yeah. yeah but you know sweeping those to one side for a moment <laughs> um you know i was saying that politics is about a social contract between people and government or people in the state and actually that exists in China as well not through not through voting but basically you know I'm not a I'm not I'm not a China watcher but I'm friends with someone who is one of my colleagues has, has looked at this a lot and, and I mean the way he describes it is that you know after 1989 and the uprising then there was a kind of tacit agreement between the Chinese rulers and you know the Chinese people that there would be loads of economic growth people would have the opportunity to get richer and you know in return they had to they had to just kind of put up with the government they had and and that that sort of roughly worked for quite a few people obviously not for minorities and you know not for people who didn't manage to get a job and so on but it was like a it was a form of social contract um and now the interesting question is whether the whether climate and uh environment air pollution and so on is sort of being built into it a bit so you know whether people now expect the government to do that for them as well um but there is this kind of you know even in an authoritarian system like china you still need some kind of consent from people so i don't think it, i don't think it's actually true that the rulers there can do whatever they want you know they've got to be they, they've, they've they've got to have some form of consent oh, 
perhaps he'd been advised that you did not need to know. Well, I did need to know. Apparently, the fact that you needed to know was not known at the time that the now known need to know was known. <laughs> and therefore, those that needed to... Is there an argument the for just more... The government's just getting on with things and not everything having to be so kind of... You know, I don't think this necessarily, but a lot of people will say, just, just bloody well shut stuff down, you know, stop making everything so consensual and democratic. Yeah, so I think there's lots that can be done within a democracy to be much clearer about your, your, your sense of purpose. And I think what's happened on climate is, you know, it's, it's a bit of a, a, it's a bit of a game of chicken where politicians haven't thought that people would support climate stuff. And so they haven't wanted to do it. And then people haven't, necessarily thought that it's a problem because the prime minister isn't standing up and saying oh well, you know this is terrible we've got to avoid three degrees at all costs and you know it's just not part of the political language and so you know uh, it's if you look at research on this people quite often say i've sat in loads of meetings where um like focus groups and so on where people say well if it was such a problem you know why isn't government doing anything about it <laughs> So there's this weird standoff between people and and politicians. And so it does, it's absolutely hackneyed, but it does need leadership. It does need politicians to stand out there and say, you know, we've got to, we've got to crack this one. So I I get that we definitely need leadership on that. You you need some politicians to just get out ahead of there and say, this is important and we're going to do it. But it sounds like, and and from some of this, uh, of your research that I've, I've read it sounds like they're not getting really much pressure at all and so kind of Even fair that. enough right if if no one's writing to them saying i demand a carbon ta- carbon tax now and everyone's writing to them saying my bins are an absolute state can you get onto the council or whatever you know probably better examples than that then it's kind of fair enough isn't it so it's both of us both both they and us have got to do more so this is where it comes down to, you know, making democracy work better, I think, because a lot of politicians said to me in these interviews that I did that um, they didn't think there was public support and they they actually, they really underestimated the public support there was. You know, if you compare what they were saying with, you know, with opinion polls and so on, they were underestimating levels of support but the levels of support aren't as high as they need to be (laughs) but politicians underestimate um you know no one is voting for runaway global warming are they no one no one no one wants that if you and 70 70 million americans might just about so okay so so this is the thought experiment right what if you were to um so yeah 70 million americans voted for a climate denier and um they did that for one of two reasons either they agreed with him or much more likely for most of those people, they didn't care enough for it to influence their vote, right? But if you got those 70 million or just, you know, a, a, a whoever, just a, a group of those 70 million, and, you know, this is what we did with the Climate Assembly. If you actually uh, talk them through what's happening in terms of climate change, point out how it, you know, how it's already affected you know, with wildfires and so on, how it's already affected their country and other people's countries, and then say, you know, what do you think politicians should do about it? Then you would get a decent answer from them. And I've I've never seen... Basically, if you treat people seriously, 
they can do a really sensible job, right? If you treat them like Muppets, they'll act like Muppets. I can't figure out what side we're on. Are we with the pirates or the frog captain? Oh, hey, man, just play the gig. Never get involved in politics. Politics! Politics! So there's, there's, a, there's a book that I'm telling everyone to read at the moment which is called beyond the red wall and it's by a pollster who just went and hung out in red wall constituencies um uh before and then during covid and um and it's she did you know focus groups and chats and you know really basically talked to uh voters and they were all um traditional labor voters had just switched to tory and she she you know she really worked out what motivated them what worried them and so on and so forth and the reason i'm telling everyone to read it is because climate doesn't get a mention once <laughs> right because there's too well, you know i mean life's like that isn't it there's too much going on like especially if you know you're struggling to um to pay the bills or you're working two jobs or you know your kids are having trouble in school or whatever it's like you know where does climate fit on that um unless and unless you're unless you're asked to so that all those people that uh, she spoke to i have no doubt that if they were you know put into uh, the climate assembly or something like that if they were actually you know thinking and and being asked to make decisions about climate or you know voting about it whatever that they'd, they'd they would absolutely want to protect the planet that they live on <laughs> um but it's not front of mind for them and it, you know to be honest it isn't front of mind for a lot of us i mean I, you know because i work on climate all all day every day i love holidays because i don't have to think about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> amen to that <laughs> hello i'm chris packham and you're listening to sustainer babble tell me that it's nobody's fault nobody's fault but my own I was asking somebody about this, like, what is democracy? And, and, you know, it's not even clear what that means. Like, do you want more or less democracy? Kind of what that even means. But for a lot of people, I think they, they, their sense of democracy is voting in an election. That that's what democracy means. And for a lot of people in countries like the UK, you know, and in America as well, we've just seen it, the vote that you cast does not necessarily translate to the thing happening that your that vote should proportionally get to happen right so like in america the you know trump's trying his best to overturn this but before trump clinton won got more votes than trump but still lost right in the uk uh the party that forms the government may not get an absolute majority of the votes but still gets to win right and, and there's and loads more, of places more around to the point like both here and in the states most people live in constituencies that aren't right marginal right so you, you it's entirely pointless <laughs> so, or at least it feels well, like it is it is and so how do you like do you think people should get should get out there and, and vote despite all of that and how do you inspire younger people or anyone really to go and vote given those kind of the realities that your voice doesn't even necessarily count yeah i mean you know i'd say there's plenty of other ways of making your voice heard like talking directly to your mp um you know getting out on the street there's no substitute for protest is there um but you could decide that you were going to create the perfect electoral system and then crack climate but you know it's probably going to be too late for that right but i am i do i think there's a lot of ways that you could make the system we've got better 
like, you know, involving people through um, citizens' juries, like having some way of representing future generations, like involving young people, I mean, you know, lowering the voting age, um, like giving more power to local areas, voting for mayors, um, you know, giving giving local areas a lot more power over, you know, taxing and spending, that kind of thing, as well as responsibility for climate. So there is quite a lot that we can do that wouldn't actually be that difficult that would make our democratic systems work a lot better. Um, I'm not sure that answers the question of, you know, what you do with your with someone who just says, well, there's no point in voting. <laughs> um you know, it's not really a sell, is it, to say, you don't like voting? Why don't you campaign for electoral reform instead? Vote Liberal Democrat and then you can get a referendum on... Oh, mm. yeah. yes. oh yeah. <laughs> That's a niche joke about the 2011 failed referendum uh, on uh, the alternative vote um, for, for, for everybody well, there. I couldn't actually um, remember. I knew it happened, but I couldn't remember what was on the ballot. Yeah, well... Oh. It's stuck in I'll my think, mind. Well, I'll move to a Lib Dem area <laughs> I now. Have, so. I have. So we have, you have to know about I these things. I've got to learn about what Lib Dems think. Um, yeah, <laughs> extraordinary. We made a promise before the election that we would vote against any rise in fees under any circumstances. But that was a mistake. <laughs> Get a haircut, hippie. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of your research, a lot of your writing has been... Um, looking at kind of stuff that was happening before last year, I suppose, because a lot of time was before last year. <laughs> almost um, all of it. But almost all time was pre-last year. There's an exclusive for you. Um, and obviously last year, being 2019, was quite a big year for general sort of raising of awareness of, of climate, or at least it seems like that from our perspective. School strikes, you know, went from one teenager sitting outside a Swedish parliament to an entire global movement of millions, um, Extinction Rebellion, all the rest of it. Um, and so do you think it's still the case that those politicians you were speaking to sort of don't really feel the heat or or has it shifted? Has it shifted for them? Um, and if not, like, what are we going to do? <laughs> if that hasn't done it, what will? <laughs> Tanks it has, it, you know, it, it has shifted. You can tell, can't you? I mean, it um, it was brilliant to see the coverage in the in the US elections. Um, you know, maybe that's Trump's legacy. Maybe he's put climate well. there on the agenda. For you know, I mean, um, and and here as well, you've seen a change. I mean, you know, Boris Johnson. You can, you know, you can you can question his sincerity, but he's always going on about the net zero target the whole time. You know, he said it on the street of on the doorstep of Number Ten when he, you know, when he when he first got the keys. I mean, he's always going on about it. So. It's it's become I think it's become a little bit more polarized. It's a bit more of a lefty thing now. Um, we and don't want that, do we? What? <laughs> we don't want that. Well, we don't want it to be polarized, do we? Like that's not. Um, that's I couldn't work out good. if you were joking or not. No, Dave. no, 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 not at all. Like, because one no. of the awful things about the states is, as discussed, like seventy million people just voted for a climate denier because he was their guy, right? And we don't want yeah. that to happen. No, and I think one of the things really missing, I think there's a sort of decent left-wing story to tell on climate now. You know, you can call it the Green New Deal or, you know, you can call it environmental justice, whatever. We've we've sort of got a story that we can tell on the left, on the on the right. There, uh, there isn't one. 
Mm. You know, I can see what it might be. It's about, you know, security and community and, and um, you know, some of the job stuff as well. And, you know, pride in our country and our heritage and nature and so on. You could, you know, you could, you could sort of write it, but no one's really putting the effort in on that. And I've actually asked, um, you know, I've asked people who are sort of in and about the Tory party, whether anyone's putting the work in on that and they they don't seem to be actually so uh, although there's a lot of commitment to the to the net zero target and a lot of talk about you know big shiny tech that might help us um they're not actually trying to come up with any kind of story that that might resonate with those with the the voters especially the ones that they've just you know managed to nick off labor and they're going to have to do that if they're serious about climate Um, this is a question from one of our Patreon supporters, Clara. And Clara, I love this question. Clara asks about another bit of the whole democratic puzzle, which is local councils. Uh, and we're going to see what happens to your face when we talk about your council in a minute. So uh, local councils have, she says, a lot of sway over planning decisions, which have impacts on climate change. Uh, but short of running to be a councillor, how else would you go about trying to influence people at the local level who, set on their, who are set in their ways? So if you're trying to influence how your council treats climate, um, what councils are doing good to learn from or which ones are um, maybe a bit more problematic um, and then relatedly I wanted to ask you about what Cumbria Council have been doing on climate change and whether there's anything you wanted to talk about there <laughs> at all. Well they're committed to net zero Dave Cumbria County Council oh, are. Fine, yeah, no problem. Uh, no problem. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they, um, they uh, you might you, you might be uh, prodding me towards saying something about the small matter of the coal mine that they've just. Uh... Cumbria County Council has given unanimous consent for Britain's first deep coal mine in more than thirty years. Workings would extend from the cliffs near the old mine, four miles out under the Irish Sea. It aims to produce three million tons of coking coal for the steel industry each year. The net zero coal mine. Yes. The uh, yeah, no, it's better than that, Ollie. It's actually climate positive because it's gonna. It is <laughs> because it's gonna. No, it's gonna stop pesky imports of coal, and you know all that oil that's used to get to ship the coal here. We won't be using that oil anymore. So it's actually climate positive. Do you know I've had yeah. these coal mines all wrong. Yeah. I- <laughs> Yeah. And I owe a lot of coal mines a big apology. Oh, that's good yeah. news. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, the, the, I will answer Clara's question, but the, the coal mine is an exact example of how not to do climate politics because the local councillors have basically, you know, they've had 500 dirty jobs dangled in front of, their, in front of them in an area that has no jobs. Mm. And, um, and then you know what uh, can you well i'm going to pose this as a question can you blame them for choosing 500 dirty jobs over no jobs at all um the fact is that uh, you know we shouldn't we shouldn't we shouldn't be consenting there should be a clear national decision right not to consent any new 
coal mines, any any new fossil fuel extraction, I think um, you get really messy decisions if you're not really clear about your strategy. So, it, you know, what's happened in Cumbria is an, is an absolute mess um, and no doubt will be dragged through the courts. Well, I know it's going to be dragged through the courts. But, um, is, but is there an element of which, I mean, I, I, I get the argument. I do think it's it's right. Um, it, it made me think of Simon Reeves' current programme that he's got going on about Cornwall, which I recommend, which is dealing with a lot of the same stuff. Like, you know, if you're in Cornwall, there are no jobs and someone comes along and wants to open another great big mine somewhere, you know, you're not necessarily in a position to turn it down. But yet at the same time, like, climate, a council that was a, that took climate change to the absolute heart of what they were doing, that were serious about it and that felt the heat about it, might actually say, you know what? some we draw the line at some jobs so i don't i don't know if i feel like they can be totally let off the hook in that regard no i agree and i and and i think that um they have to take responsibility but actually they have no uh, statutory responsibilities around climate change they have no resourcing for it um there is a very murky sort of there's some very murky phrasing in the planning policy that they have to follow that everything has to be in line with you know climate policy so it it actually really points out to me the problems with our climate strategy you know it's it's all very well having a target but you need to be really clear and consistent about the ways of meeting that target and um it you know it's it's blindingly obvious to me that digging more coal out of the ground does not get you to net zero (laughs) kids you tried your best and you failed miserably the lesson is never try (laughs) so to uh, to go back to clara's question you know what what is what is the way to influence um councillors particularly those councillors who might be kind of set in their ways in those ways not necessarily being i love hugging trees camp out in their garden with a very large dog and smear meat all over the door and tell them that until they stop being in hoffs, they're going to have this dog barking at them. Yes, no, I was actually asking Becky. Uh, thank you, oh, thank right. you, Sorry, though, fine, Dave. Fine, no, that, was, fine. that was great, and we will we'll park that, but just... <laughs> well, just I was going to say... I was going to say... Uh, go. I, I was going to say, talk to them. That's um, what I said. Yeah, exactly. So Dave just <laughs> Dave, Dave just added a little more colour to the picture, maybe. <laughs> um, take them a bunch of flowers, and I mean, obviously in season, UK grown, um, and you know, and say. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking of alternatives to the dog scenario. You, you could be good um, cop if you like. I'll be, we'll, we'll go as a team. Yeah. Um, no, seriously. I mean, I think, I think, um, I think, talking to them again. You know, protesting. Um, it was it was brilliant to see. I mean, you know, they can't do it now because of COVID. But it was brilliant to see the schools out in in Kendal, where I live, which is you know really not a hotbed of radicalism. It's like a sleepy market town, um, and the teens were out in force during the climate strikes. And uh, the MP came to see them. They um, they barricaded the town hall when the coal mine meeting was when the, the meeting about the coal mine was happening, um, and that you know that really has an impact. We we don't talk about climate change nearly enough, do we? I mean, you know, I'm guilty of this. Like, we should be talking all the time to everyone, you know, bring it up at the Christmas dinner table, you know, 
talking about it on the football touchlines when you take your kids to football, whatever, you know, it should be something that we're talking about and worrying about and getting excited about what we can do about it. Um, and, you know, I'm convinced that, that the more we talk about it, the more we get over this weird sort of collective denial that we're in about what's, what's you know, what could happen if, if, we, if, we, don't, if, if we don't get things under control. If people want to uh, get in touch with you, follow you, see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so I'm I'm on Twitter far more than I should be, and I'm Bankfield Becky on Twitter. Um, I've got a website which is RebeccaWillis.co.uk, and I have to mention the book, which is very short. Um, it's called Too Hot to Handle: The Democratic Challenge of Climate Change. Um, it's quite cheap as well. <laughs> Short and cheap books. Short and cheap, yeah. You, that's what you want. Yeah, that's, yeah. You had <laughs> that's me at short and cheap. That's, that's, <laughs> I'm in. So that is just about it for another episode of Babel 192 of the little blighters in the can. Thank you very much, Dave, for babbling. Thank you, more importantly, to Becky for making the case so splendidly for democracy. But, you know, I think there is a future for the Dave and Ol autocracy. Absolutely. Where do we start? I mean, I've, I've, we have been carefully marshalling ourselves an army for the last six years. Oh, we have a Babel army that will do anything we say. Um, some of our Babel listeners will grab hold of guests for us and get them to come on the podcast. Other ones will change their current account because we tell them to, and then they will write to us telling about changing their current account. So look, it's a if very you are part of the Babel step. army... It's a very short which, step to getting them to go step. and like, lobbing Molotov cocktails at army generals or something. I'm, I'm sure we can do it. So if you are part of the Babel Army, bloody well vote, but don't make that all you do. Get involved, hassle the poor sods. Remember politicians are people too, um, but then hassle them in a nice way, not by smearing the outside of their door with angry dog bait. Yes? Yes, uh, yes. I think Becky's point was rather less of the hassling and more of the have a chat to, but you know, I could have misread that. I don't know. Anyway, thank you very much, Earl, uh, for babbling. You can get in touch with us. You can tell us what you thought of the show. We are on the intertubes, aren't we, Earl? <laughs> God's sake. Uh, it's gone, it's gone. Last week uh, you were drunk and it worked. Um, yeah, I know you, there's a moral. Yeah, you just duplicated it, didn't you? I'll there's have a, a go. Look, I'll have a go. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're on Twitter, at The Babble Wagon. We're on Facebook, just search Sustainababble. And you can email us by emailing hello at sustainababble.fish. Good. Um, thank you as ever to uh, the wonderful Arthur Stovall for the logo, what adorns this podcast, and our merchandise, what you can buy, t-shirts and that, well, just t-shirts actually, what you can buy at uh, fish. Um, and thank you to the wonderful Dickie Moore for the music that starts, ends and intertwinkles this podcast. And in Dickie Moore related news, all Yes, bricks, Dickie bricks. Um... Not, dicky bricks yes little, closely little related sticky. to sticky bricks but yes dicky and also i had some dicky bricks once oh i'm sorry to hear that uh, listen mm. look dicky is our pal and he is the genius that does the music at the beginning of this show and does other stuff like Bearcraft and dream themes and stuff go and check him out but dicky being a pal of ours got in touch and said look my missus mrs dicky is involved in another podcast would you mind chatting about it and ordinarily when people say can you tell your <laughs> listeners about another podcast we say no 
sod yeah. off but we don't ever say sod off to dicky because he's dicky so um this is another podcast uh and it's by somebody called olivia olivia jones uh and the most recent episode is all about the island of lundy in the bristol channel mm. when they go and speak to artists and geologists and people who are working to protect the island's wildlife and yeah it just sounds super interesting so Go and check it out. Yes, you can go to www.bricksbristol.org where you can find this podcast, which is about uh, what I'll said, and then uh, other podcasts as well. And they're all about artists and kind of how they live and work. And it's all themed around the Southwest. So all very, very cool. Yes? Right. Um, that's it. I think we've we've said thanks to loads of people. Um, oh, we haven't asked people to give us money. Give us give money. Give us money. Give, give us, us money. Give us money. Go give to www.patreon.com forward slash sustainababble and think of a number, put some zeros after it, and then just close your eyes and, and click submit. And it'll all be yes. fine. It'll be absolutely yes. fine. And maybe Dave will buy a new one of the uh, bits of kit, swanky bits of kit that she's been slowly failing after the last few weeks and culminated in him having to do a massive amount of work to kind of re-record an entire episode, which, fair play, you did unbelievably well, such that I don't think anybody noticed. But anyway, that's the sort of thing we need you to fund. <laughs> Very good. Perhaps we should change the website address to www.patreon.com slash payupyoubastards because it might uh, <laughs> it might have the same effect. Although, you know, whatever. But, yeah, I know. Not everyone can afford it. Yes, yes, yes. Pay up, you bastards. Right, <laughs> should we go now? Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.